Hi, and welcome to the fifth episode of Little Miss Media. We're your hosts, Brianna. And I'm Melissa. Today, we'll be talking about what Asian fetishization is and the issues surrounding it. Where is Asian fetishization more prevalent? And is this an issue that mostly affects women or any gender, so long as they're Asian? So before we get started with the episode, just a small little disclaimer, Brianna and I are both of Asian descent. I am from Malaysia and Brianna is Australian yeah. Asian. <laughs> so yes. I'm, I'm so, mixed. Yeah, so this is a topic that hits a bit too close to home, I would say. <laughs> and first of all, we just like to establish what exactly Asian fetishization is. It's basically when an individual is attracted to another person based on their sexual desire due to a particular aspect of the other person's identity or character. And in this case, the aspect is just them being Asian, basically. Simply put, it's when they have a strong preference towards another person of Asian descent. So saying that you want to associate yourself with a particular person or date them because they belong to the Asian race. Yeah, that's probably a good indication that you're engaging in a sort of fetishization. So you might know the term Asian fetishization as yellow fever. And that's generally when men, usually white guys, fetishize Asian women, specifically East or Southeast Asian. But this also happens to South Asians as well. So mind you, it's not only women who are victims of yellow fever. Men can also be victims. But first of all, we're going to focus on the female aspect. But don't worry, we will be covering Asian men as well. I feel like this is an issue that's becoming extremely prominent over the recent years. I'm not sure if it's something that you have personally um, experienced or noticed, Brianna, but especially with the rise of anime or K-pop in, this, in the K-pop industry, I just feel like well, looking back into this one journal that Brooks and Herbert wrote, the media does play a huge role when it comes to shaping one's racial fetish due to how increasingly ra- racialized the media has become in regards to symbols, narratives, etc. And in this case, like I've mentioned before, anime, etc. So what is Asian fetishization a huge issue? Gosh, I think me and most of my friends... When we think of Asian fetishization, it's often through a romantic or dating Mm -hmm. sort of lens. So I think I would think of dating websites or apps. And we actually have statistics and facts to back this up. Um, For instance, a study by Quartz indicates that on some dating websites, most men will positively respond to Asian women. We have a quote here, all men except Asians preferred Asian women. And you often see guys sliding into Asian women's DMs saying, oh, <laughs> yeah. I want to try an Oriental. Oh, I love Chalmie and I love Bunmi. Or being like, oh, I love Asian women as if this is a compliment. Would I go up to a white guy and be like, oh, I love garlic bread. I love toast. <laughs> it just seems that their initial attraction and first impression is purely because of this person's ethnicity. So even though they might see it as a compliment, only wanting to date someone or being attracted to someone because they're quote unquote oriental 
is not exactly great. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. Like that shouldn't be the exact selling point <laughs> when it comes to picking a partner, I would say. And exactly like you, I was thinking about how this is to has something to do with dating, etc. So I thought it would be interesting to look into the adult entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And according to Michigan Daily, the top two most searched keywords on Pornhub in 2019 were... Japanese and hentai. Hentai meaning sexually explicit Japanese anime and manga. This heavily relates to the quote by Brooks and Herbert about how media really does actually play a huge role in people's racial fetish at the end of the day. And I just couldn't help but think as well, do you think that Asian fetishization is a huge issue in certain countries? It comes in different forms, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. when I think of Asian fetishization, I kind of split it into your sort of weeb sort of guys who are looking uh, for their real life anime waifu. waifu. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then I, at the same time, split it with these old white dudes who go to mm-hmm. Southeast Asia and spend money to get a girl who is so much younger than them. And then either marry them or just, you know, use them, which is another massive aspect of fetishization is taking women who are disadvantaged or are not in a situation where they can really say no, maybe because of financial, maybe because of social, and then using them for your own sexual gain and pleasure. For men too, you see it with girls who are always saying, I want a Korean boyfriend. I want to go to yeah. Korea and find my Jungkook. Oppa. I want to yeah, <laughs> I want to find my Jimin Oppa. But yeah. you get what I mean? Like it's it's definitely sure. there, but it's kind of different. There are different power balances here. It's very, yeah. They're both kind of two sides of the same coin where they're very different, but they're both fetishization of Asians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Asian fetishization was something that I was not really aware of back home because we're all Asians. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you like someone, you just like them. We never really questioned it. But I guess coming to like other foreign countries, I can kind of see how this comes to play. And I think especially online. Um, when it's so predominantly, I guess, white as well. I mean, I'm on that side of TikTok, right? Oh, that side of Instagram. And immediately it's everyone just talking about how, well, we'll dive into this later in the later segments, but stuff about how fetishization on how you want to look more Asian, but you can't because you're Caucasian mm-hmm. and you just want to kind of change the way you look, etc. But yeah, that's something we'll dive into a little later. Yeah, so what we've basically kind of established, I think, and we're both in agreement, is that Asian fetishization primarily happens outside of Asia. So in places maybe like America. I see it a lot in Russia, interestingly enough. Mm. Um, Australia, England. Mm. I just, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense that you would fetishize something that is, I suppose, other or foreign to you Mm -hmm. that you're not used to. So that's really interesting to see. So, Mel, I want to ask you a question. What's the harm with Asian fetishization? Isn't it just having a type or a preference? Actually, thinking about this as well, it's not just 
foreigners who fetishize like Asians, but Asians actually kind of do it too to Caucasians,、mm. um, especially in Malaysia. So we call our older like women and and、um, you know our mom's friends and. Etc. We call them uncles and aunties.、Yeah. So we're like every single time an uncle or auntie will will talk to us about you know will greet us before we go to study overseas. They'll be like, oh, get like a white boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> don't don't date、oh, another、dear. Asian. Yeah, I was told don't date another Asian as well. And I'm like, really?、Huh, I wonder why. So I guess it's hard to distinguish between. Having a preference and fetishizing a certain race, right? So I guess it's really important to distinguish that because just because someone has a record of only dating Asians doesn't mean they have an Asian fetish. At the same time, though, we have to establish that there is a difference between、mm-hmm. having an innocent type or a preference and reducing someone's entire being to an uncontrollable factor about them, their race. Like for that shouldn't be the reason you want to date that person. Your reasoning shouldn't be they're Asian. I want to date them. The fact that they're Asian should just be an element of them. You shouldn't be purely attracted to them because they're Asian, or because they're white, or because they're black, or because anything. For sure,、mm-hmm. the race shouldn't be the reason. That's yeah, icky. I've had someone come up to me saying, "I love dating Asians." Oh, another guy came up、oh, to、no. me saying, "Yeah, Korean girls, man, I love Korean girls." Oh,、uh, hi. That's not it, <laughs> guys. That's kind of low key, kind of creepy. But exactly what you said, Brianna. It's not the case. It shouldn't be like that at all. Okay, so we've established that you can fetishize any sort of race, but in the case of Asian fetishization and white men, Asian、mm-hmm. women. Are not often sought out for a relationship, like a proper healthy relationship, but they are often reduced to sex objects. Yeah, and I just can't help but wonder why is that? It's an issue of having a certain problematic stereotype when it comes to Asian women because I feel like we're generally known to be quite quiet or submissive or you know,、mm-hmm. docile. Yeah. At the same time, I think. For a lot of, especially conservative people who have this image of Asian people, as you just said, quiet, docile, but also extremely sexualized and ready to please and be objects of pleasure, they're basically an accessory for the white man's sexual and emotional satisfaction. And I think you mentioned that you read a really interesting online article to me before about、yeah. this. Yes, so there's this really interesting online article on North Carolina Asian Americans together, really long name, about the fetishization of East and Southeast Asian women. And according to this article, the term Asian fetishization—I did not know this, by the way—first originated in the 18th and 19th century when、mm-hmm. Euro Americans were first integrating Chinese and other East Asian motifs and styles into Western art. Hence, Asian female bodies were then seen as ornaments or decor.、Mm. So this has been an issue that's been around for quite a while now.、Mm. And in the past, the concept of geishas. For those of you who don't know what geishas are, they're basically female Japanese entertainers whose job is to accompany guests, usually male guests, during meals, occasions, and entertain them with an array of traditional Japanese arts, etc. And The concept of geishas arguably fed into the damaging stereotype that Asian women are docile and quiet. And Southeast Asian countries also have a really long history of colonization, etc., from Western countries. So, 
Vietnam War and the China conflict. And these Asian women were often raped and sexually assaulted by white soldiers, which kind of really just feeds into the idea that female bodies have just been colonized and treated as objects of sexual desire from those days up until now. So yeah, it's a really long history. And historically, so I am Vietnamese Chinese. In Vietnam, during the Vietnam War, a lot of girls whose villages had been destroyed by the war, who had lost absolutely everything, had to turn to prostitution. And they opened these prostitution, these bars and such, to cater to American soldiers because they were the market. They were the people who were happy to engage in this and buy these services. A lot of these girls didn't have a choice. So no wonder they were docile and happy to oblige. These girls were really in bad situations. They'd lost everything. And so it's just a really sad part of history, but it just goes to show how Asian women have been degraded in this way and have been given this sexualized association. I guess women who generally grow up in Asia, we don't usually have that situation where we grow up to be a bit more directed our speech, et cetera. We're just naturally just more, we just go with the flow, et cetera. So I think that really feeds into the image of like, oh, by nature, we're submissive, et cetera. Because, you know, the way how Caucasians, the way how Asians talk are completely different, more or less. So yeah, we kind of talk about that then. If people think of us as docile, as quiet, as subservient, well, then there's definitely going to be a power dynamic in the relationship. Yeah. A lot of these men actually specifically go after Asian girls because they view us as docile because of that. They want to be the top of the relationship. They want to be in power. And that's why they target Asian girls because they believe this is a relationship where I won't be challenged, which is completely incorrect, but that's just what they think. It's just kind of been put in so many movies and so many stories that it's almost accepted as a truth that Asian girls want white guys, you know? Yeah. Or like the Asian girls are growing up in places of such poverty that they would be willing to do anything to keep that Caucasian white man by their side because they're the only savior or some sort of thing, yeah. And I just think of a tweet that I saw by Julia Shiplett. And we have to understand that a lot of fetishization is rooted in racism, even if it's attraction. And she says, a reminder... You can absolutely be racist towards people you want to have sex with. And having sex with people of a different race does not automatically negate your racism towards them. Let that sink in for a bit. (laughs) And I guess another real world harm that we can think about for Asian fetishization in regards to women in particular is the Atlanta shooting incident. And Mm -hmm. out of respect for the victims of the incident, we will not mention the perpetrator's name because he does not deserve any sort of exposure or anything of sort, but it's a very, very um, unfortunate incident and it really hits close to home. The white 21-year-old perpetrator was arrested and charged of killing eight people, six of whom were Asian women, and told the police that the reasons why he did it was because he had a sex addiction and that the spas were a temptation that he wanted to eliminate. I mean, if that doesn't capture how society just views these women who Mm. work in these spas, that work in these parlors, Mm. who are Asian women. I don't know what else does. And what upset a lot of people was that the police and the media didn't label it as a hate crime. The police actually supported his claim by saying that what fueled it was a sex addiction. But there is an intersection between his 
trying to destroy his temptation and his assumptions of these Asian women who were not working in a massage parlor, which has connotations of prostitution and sexualization. They were working in a day spa, but the media and the police stumbled and they just called it a massage parlor, which instantly then kind of puts everyone thinking, oh, these women were prostitutes. He was just mad from lack of sexy sex drive. That's why he killed them. No, he had that racist fetishized assumption about these women. They didn't deserve it. No one deserves it. Even if they were working in a massage parlor, does that mean they should die? No, mm. of course it doesn't. No one deserves to die like that. It's exactly. a mixture of racism and misogyny and like racial fetishization. And it's just something that shouldn't have happened in the first place. Yeah, it's heavy. And these sort of things will always be heavy, especially when it comes to issues like this, where there is real world harm, where it doesn't just become a symbolic thing anymore. It literally has resulted in people losing their lives and countless Asian women and Asian men losing their lives and being discriminated over history. So much history of this, of just discrimination because of fetishization and awful assumptions about their behavior and their race, which just shouldn't happen. And I hope one day it won't happen. So Brianna and I thought it would be really interesting to find out a bit more on the history of Asian fetishization and where it came from. And one of the first things that popped up in Google was this term yellow peril. Yellow peril is basically a color metaphor that represents the people of East Asia. And basically, a sinologist named Wing Fai Lung explained that the origins for this term basically implies that yellow peril or people of East Asia are basically an existential danger to the Western world. White people fear that the Chinese or those of East Asian descent would come over to their country, steal their jobs, Still, their lifestyle and their women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is very much when you think of the gold rushes of America, of Australia, and you get this rush of immigrants. And back Mm -hmm. then when people were thinking of Asians, they were kind of referring specifically to the Chinese, especially the Chinese miners. And they did not like And when we say they, we mean white Americans, white Australians did not like having these Chinese people come in. And I know in the case of Australia, I don't know so much about the American gold rushes, but in the cases of the Australian gold rushes, the Chinese miners were actually extremely successful because of Chinese culture back then, especially Confucianism, everything about working as a family, working as a group they were able to very successfully mine and, you know, live a pretty good lifestyle on the gold mines and the white miners resented this. And this kind of manifested in a lot of discrimination and a lot of violence against Chinese people. I mean, I know in Australia, Chinese miners were actually banned from testifying. And I'm pretty sure this happened in America too. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Chinese and black people were actually banned from testifying at courts whenever racial violence happened towards them. So that basically just meant that white people were free to go out and bash Chinese people to go out and bash black people. And they just would get off scot-free. So in 
America, they had the Chinese Exclusion Act, which barred immigration solely based on race. And this meant initially that it was a 10-year stop on all Chinese migration. And the exact same thing happened in Australia. In 1901, they had the white Australia policy come into effect, but this was specifically targeting Chinese and Pacific Islander and also just the rest of Asia migration into Australia. They just had these really negative views about Asia and they would spread misinformation, spread propaganda about uncleanliness, about how these men were rapists, how they would come and steal your wives and steal our livelihood and, you know, change us. Mm-hmm. Or oh, in the case of US as well, uh, Asian women were basically, they had like this image that they were just engaging in prostitution and mm-hmm. they were un- so-called unclean, etc. And I guess it just goes to show that the representation of East Asian women continued to be incredibly harmful in popular media, etc. So we have the exaggerated portrayal of these two important terms. So we have the China doll. And we also have the dragon lady, mm-hmm. which basically serves to further exoticize and dehumanize East Asian women and just reduce them as, you know, the typical sex object, ensuring yeah. that, you know, that's the kind of image that they hold in the West. And so in Joey Lee's article, East Asian China Doll or Dragon Lady, exactly as Mel just said, we had these two sort of representations in old Hollywood. The China doll is sort of the diminutive little butterfly. She's fragile. She's docile. She's infantilized, but also hypersexualized. And she almost suggests a need for white domination. Mel, have you heard of the opera Madame Butterfly or the Broadway adaptation Miss Saigon? I actually heard of Miss Saigon, mm-hmm. actually. And um, from what I know is that, I, well, I've done a bit of research on about this as well in the past, but the Asian woman character commits suicide? Or yes. Something at the yes. end? This yeah. is yeah. a trope, unfortunately, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a lot of our China doll stories. So Miss Saigon is a adaptation of Madame Butterfly. Madame Butterfly is set in Japan, but Miss Saigon is set in Vietnam. But basically, they have the same story. A poor girl falls in love with a white soldier or general, depending on the story. He and her have sex. She's very much in love with him. He's kind of, depending on the story. He leaves and eventually he marries back in the USA, his home country, and has a wife, has a family. But she's stuck back at home, even though she's had a wealthy man propose to her and she's actually pregnant with his kid. He comes back. She finds out he's married. He won't take her. So she kills herself. And that's the end of the story. And unfortunately, this is a big trope. So basically, the role of Asian women in Western media is to fulfill the white men's sexual desires. And then when the white lover leaves they just disappear she only exists as long as his desire for her exists and when it's time for him to return to the white world she must disappear without a trace Mm -hmm. she must kill herself to ease his guilt and purge his sin and not interrupt his moral white life 
funny when you kept describing that trope. I just kept can't help but think of what's that popular show TLC <laughs> about the whole like marriage thing, Big Ed and Rose. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think that this is probably how Big Ed viewed Rose. He probably did. Like I'm trying to doll. Yeah. yeah. That's what he wanted. The way she lived. And he was like, oh, I'm really sad that she doesn't have sleeping wear or she's only in it for like the money. I have to be cautious of that because look at the way she's living. She needs me. She needs my money, etc. And it's just something that is so reflective of the media that we see today. Like you wouldn't think that there would be a man out there who thinks that way. But no, there are men out there who think this way, unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like... It's basically like Lou in one of her articles explains that these characters will conveniently elect suicide to avoid challenging the happiness of their white lovers. And this kind of reinforces that image of white colonial dominance over a subordinate Asia where on screen all Asians will just prioritize the lives of white characters and then just you know, disappear after the white characters will always get the happy endings and the Asian characters will die or disappear or leave. And that just really reinforces that image that the colonial powers were on top and Asia, which was colonized, meant most, a lot of Asia was colonized back then. They'll just do whatever. So on the other hand, we have Dragon Lady and the Dragon Lady, unlike the China doll, she is a bit more aggressive. And she seemed to be a bit more sensual and I guess a bit more headstrong in comparison to China Doll. But so you thought. <laughs> so yeah. at first she's posed, they had this at the first half, but she was first posed as a challenge to white power. She's then quickly brought to submission to once again ensure that the whites are in dominance. They have the upper hand. Yeah, and a classic example of this is in the Year of the Dragon. And the character, Tracy Zhu. And she's basically an exotic seductress of the aptly named Mr. White, who is married. I didn't make up that name. It just happened to be Mr. White. (laughs) Coincidence? (laughs) I think not. Um, But yeah, so she sort of seduces a married man who is helpless to her exotic charms you know her disrespect for his white wife demonstrates that she's selfish and that she is corrupt that she's not a morally righteous American woman but even though she is initially a threat that she's independent well this gets stripped away you know she is forced to become the submissive China doll Like Mr. White rips her clothes. He threatens to rape her and then he moves in with her. He tells her how to do her job and he takes away all of her independence. And this results in abuse. And actually, just as Asian countries are colonized, colonization of her body, transforming her body into something to be used and enjoyed by the white man. It kind of gives the idea for both the China doll and the dragon lady that no matter if you're docile or submissive to begin with, or if you're a bit more feisty and headstrong, at the end of the day, you're always going to be reduced to being someone that has to serve white men mm-hmm. or someone that needs to be dominated or corrupted, in maybe emotionally and physically. It's just a really bad um, image. Yeah, completely. 
Huang, who is the writer of the play M. Butterfly, which is sort of a subversion of the original Madame Butterfly story, has this quote in one of the scenes where he says, what would you say if a blonde homecoming queen fell in love with a short Japanese businessman? He treats her cruelly, then goes home for three years, during which time she prays to his picture and turns down marriage from a young Kennedy. Then, when she learns he has remarried, she kills herself. Now, I believe you would consider this girl to be a deranged idiot, correct? But because it's an Oriental who kills herself for a Westerner? Ah, you find it beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just shows how if we put someone else in this situation, we would probably see it as morally, what the heck? What is she doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're so used to Asians in this sort of role. Guess we've just talked a lot about how the long history of how Asian female bodies were seen as ornaments mm-hmm. and it's a huge issue for East and Southeast Asian females and as well as South um, Asian females but we're also we also wanted to give a bit of a balance here how does Asian fetishization in particular affect men and mm-hmm. the one thing that has already been touched on earlier was how you know when the first Chinese communities immigrated to the US. And as a way of minimizing the threat posed by these Chinese men, they were often portrayed as weak and oftentimes effeminate and very passive as well in comparison to the American counterparts. If you make them effeminate, if you make them docile, well, then you're stripping them of their power. You're reinforcing Mm -hmm. the dominance of Western culture. So we can see it happens for both genders. Yeah, I guess as well, some other real world examples um, in films, etc. You could just kind of see how, well, not even in films, but in real life. And I could really like, I can stand behind this statement because I'm, I've lived in like Asia, etc. But Asian men are always known to be like, you know, glasses, (laughs) geeky, or like, oh, you can't solve this maths problem. Let's go to that Asian dude at the back who just sits behind not talking to anybody else. It's really a huge problem in society, I feel. Um, not just in the past, but it's been like until now. Yeah. And yeah. I think we've just really established that Asian fetishization is not just, not just in regards to sexualizing um, another gender just because of, a, of their Asian descent, but it's also kind of like how we portray or perceive them as weak for, for the other party to kind of like dominate the entire situation or scene. We also have Raj from Big Bang Theory. So this is just, well, he's always been portrayed as a bit more like, as we've said, geeky, but he's also quite effeminate to the point Mm -hmm. where there's this running joke, I think since season one, about the potential of him being gay Mm -hmm. or how he can't ever have a, a relationship with female, with any female character. He just can't talk to women. His parents have to make arranged marriages for him, etc. Yeah. And I'm on season 10 right now and he's still alone. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, even for example, one of a cult classic movie, 16 Candles, that a lot of girls I know love, they have awful representation of Asian men in it. One of the characters, and he, even his name is meant to be funny, quote unquote. He's called Long Duck Dong. And, you know, whenever he appears, 
they play a gong sound effect, which links him to, you know, Asian stereotypes. He's displayed as socially awkward, as not being able to live in this Western world. When he finally does get a girlfriend, it's not in a positive light. It's built on reverse gender stereotypes, but it's not positive. His girlfriend, Lumberjack, absolutely towers over him and he is shown as the female, as effeminate. You know, he's put in the role of a girl, which isn't in a positive way. It's to feminize Asian men and show that they're just to be laughed at. They're not leading male material. This is just really harmful, especially to Asian men. They are definitely victims of Asian fetishization as well. And it's something I think we just don't talk about enough Mm -hmm. as well. Because of the way the media fetishizes Asian men, they just can't help but think, oh, I'm pretty effeminate. This is how the world views me Mm -hmm. in that sense. And that's just not right. (laughs) Right. So I would say that Asian men recently have had a boost in maybe attention from the general media because of the rise of K-pop. But Mm. there is sort of this issue with K-pop where a lot of these boys, I believe, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, are very much demasculated. They're very much feminized in how the fans perceive them and treat them. What would you say? I would say that this, it's a kind of comment that my guy friends or something or like the guy audience would generally say because mm-hmm. girls on the other hand call them like Ulzang Korean looking oppa, prince charming, etc. But mm-hmm. I have had a lot of uh, male friends saying that, oh, you like that K-pop guy? He's so gay or he's incredibly feminine. Yeah, it was kind of interesting to see how the male audiences would sometimes see these K-pop idols kind of lack sex appeal or rather that they're a bit more passive etc because they're not like as masculine as the typical white men I would say that's portrayed in the media because we're so used to seeing a certain type of guy on screens right Mm -hmm. but yeah I often see girls calling their favorite idols who are grown ass men they'd be like what a small bean oh my gosh (laughs) you're such a baby oh my little baby Mm -hmm. tail my like they'll just like really yeah demasculize them like they'll turn them into like childlike make them all Mm -hmm. innocent and I often wonder is it because they just kind of inherently think all Asian guys are these sort of like not sexualized innocent sort of like childish people Mm. I just see that a lot they're always like oh Mm -hmm, he's mm -hmm. a baby he's a little bean they like edit them with cute little flower crowns and like mm-hmm. kid. I don't see people doing that to Drake. I don't see people doing <laughs> that, you know, like, yeah, yeah. You, some of the things they say about these K-pop idol guys, I'm like, would you say that to Western celebrities? Like, would you like, no, I could them? never imagine. <laughs> like, I could never imagine do people doing that to like Western male celebrities. <laughs> yeah. That would be so weird. Like calling them my soft boy, soft boy for one. Oh, he's soft a boy. soft boy. Yeah. You like, yeah. mm, there's mm. connotations. Maybe they don't mean it in a bad mm. way. I'm sure they don't. They mean it in a positive way. But mm. when Asian men have always been portrayed as soft, as not masculine, mm-hmm. and then we're still doing it now, you kind of think like, hmm, mm-hmm. maybe these tropes have affected how people see them more than mm-hmm. we think. 
we've touched a lot on how Asian fetishization has affected the way that certain people seek a partner or how Asians are treated. But I think it would be really interesting to talk about how there are people who fetishize Asian people so much that they are willing to change physical aspects of themselves to appear more Asian. I can see you nodding, Mel. So I think <laughs> you have someone in mind who is kind of a creepy pasta, <laughs> a real life creepy pasta in mm-hmm. our community. So uh, take it away. I'm sure a lot of us can think of just one guy immediately, and I'm just gonna name him. It's Ollie London. I mean, I don't want to bash the guy. I feel extremely bad for him. He does have a severe case of body dysmorphia, it seems. But, but one cannot just immediately go and identify themselves as Korean. Or uh, the, well, the recent argument he made about how if you can identify as non-binary or gay, why can't I identify as Korean? <laughs> not the way it works, unfortunately. But if you guys don't know who Oli London is, he was inc- he is incredibly famous for going through about like 18 surgeries to look like BTS's Park Jimin. <laughs> so this includes brow lift, temple lift, and I think the most controversial one is the eye surgery because mm. he wanted to have an Asian-looking eye. Mind you, Jimin has the Asian monolith eye. And that's something that white people generally just can't naturally achieve. And in the words of Ollie London, I quote, I finally have Jimin's Korean eyes and they're so, so beautiful. <laughs> oh, An extreme case of Asian <laughs> fetishization. In a, yeah, and in the video that they posted recently, they said, I identify with the Korean community. Maybe they will accept me more now because I have to look. Many, maybe people will think I'm actually Korean, which will make me feel really happy. They can see how much I love their culture. This is the extreme length that I have gone through um, because I love Korea so much. <sighs> so... Where is the line between loving an Asian culture and wanting to be an Asian? I think there's, there should be a clear separation there. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there should be a clear separation. Yeah. But in this age of social media, there is zero separation. For Most sure. of the time when I see social media accusing someone of Asian fishing or cultural appropriation, their response is just, I love the culture. I'm trying to participate in the culture but loving a culture is not the same thing as literally changing your race to become that culture yeah it's just Mm. weird or or your looks as well so like that 2020 fox eye beauty trend where Mm. i guess a bunch of caucasians etc they're trying to shape their eyes to look a bit more I don't know, foxy and almond-shaped. Something that Asians have always been bashed for in the past. Not so much now, I think. Yeah, exactly like what you said, Brianna. You change the way you look or to change your nationality because you want to be Asian or because you love the culture. Mm. It's, It's the same argument as any cultural appropriation. In the case of Asians, as you just said, a lot of people were bashed for having small or sort of, I suppose, slanted eyes they were bashed for it 
And suddenly now their eye shape, something that they couldn't change about them is a trend, something that people can just choose to participate in and get clout, internet clout for, to get fame for. And they can just at any point choose to dip out of it and stop having it. And that's okay, but they get to participate in it, but not face any of the discrimination that you faced maybe. And that's why people don't like it. It's weird, right? That, yeah, when Asian people have been bashed for so long for having this sort of look, and then suddenly everyone wants it, and then they'll dip out again maybe in a couple of months' time when a new trend takes place. And maybe then it'll change again. I didn't used to experience this, I don't think, before K-pop was as big as it is. Yeah. Nowadays, you'll get any Asian dude who has like a middle part and people be like, he looks like this K-pop star. It's like, no, no, he doesn't. <laughs> like, you just because he's Korean doesn't mean he looks like this other random Korean. Like, it's weird. It's almost like we've been turned into a trend. On TikTok especially, but also just online, especially in the gaming community, Asian fishing is a rampant thing. So Asian fishing is a term we use to describe people who try to pass as East Asian. So Ollie London would definitely fit in this category. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we can see this through a lot of things, primarily even the anime aesthetic. So we see so many, especially white girls on TikTok, dyeing their hair black wearing sexualized Japanese uniforms, participating in kawaii culture, you know, wearing cat ears, I don't know, only ever eating pocky, mm-hmm. having an all pink set up, you know, mm-hmm. you get the vibes, right? I feel like you can picture that sort of girl. Often they have very heavy eyeliner that elongates their waterline and elongates their sort of eye shape so that it looks longer, more Asian you could say and I wonder are these people kind of doing what we said when we described cultural appropriation they get to participate in this culture and in a lot of terms sexualize this culture contributing to the negative stereotypes and fetishization that surround Asian culture but then being able to dip out and return to just being a white person and not facing that discrimination and the repercussions that affect Asian women and men whenever they please what do you think about this because I just feel like especially in the anime community I feel like there's a lot of this yeah it's lovely that people are starting to sort of realize the beauty behind Southeast Asian characteristics and features but then when it comes to the point where it's just a trend and like what you said they could just dip out whenever they want after contributing to the bad image that we already have like the bad connotations that we've explained earlier that hurts like coming from like an Asian perspective um it's not a great feeling at all yeah because you've had girls who kind of contribute to it's like the whole sexualization of um these Asian features and guys who would kind of like feed into this and participate into consuming these kinds of um media and then when you go to real life and then they would go and talk to you and kind of fetishize you over everything that they've consumed on their phones, et cetera. It's not a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been a long cycle right now because I feel like this started really heavily started like a few years ago. And it's, I think it's only kind of like picked up more now, especially with TikTok and 
anime mm-hmm. trends. Yeah. I was in the cosplay community for a while and there are issues with like people like using tape to pull back their eyes so mm-hmm. that their eyes appear more slanted. I mean, no, that's literally going back to the old Hollywood yellow face days where they'd get white mm-hmm. actors and tape their eyes and paint their faces really tan to imitate Asian stereotypes. It's just icky. And you just see so many girls defending themselves by saying, oh, it's only eyeliner. Can we not wear eyeliner anymore? But like, there's a difference. I mean, it's not just eyeliner. You can tell a lot of girls are just wearing eyeliner. That's fine. But it's when you're wearing the completely kawaii aesthetic, you've got all the Japanese aesthetic going on. And then you've got the eyeliner that makes your eyes look more longer you've got the elongated waterline you've got the black hair that's been straightened and dyed come on at this point if I can't tell you apart from an Asian person you can't deny that you're kind of trying to feed into that especially when a lot of their content is about that sort of stuff well then you are feeding in that you want people to think of you like that being Asian is a fashion trend and that's weird it is you bully Asians because the you know white white community say yeah no they look different that's you know let's bully them for their slant of eyes but then now when the trend has changed and i don't know the bigger community says it's cool now let's all try to have their looks suddenly we're kind of celebrated mm-hmm. and it's weird it's like the in and out of fashion i guess a huge solution to things like this is you know basically education and it's nice that we are finding ourselves growing more engaged in topics such as these and like growing more aware that it is not it is not like anyone's fault this stuff like this racism or like fetishization it has to come from somewhere we learned it from somewhere or something and in this case it's mainly because of the um, western dominated media I would say, or general, like the male, white male dominated media and the way how they portray everything. And it really does mess with your psyche and perspective. I guess to kind of end this, we could just say that we should be aware that fetishization is the thing. And it's something that we may be unconsciously doing as well. So the next time you see an Asian girl or male, uh, this is an issue I've seen on social media all the time. Instead of asking them, so are you from China or Japan or Korea? How about you you ask them for their name? Thank you guys once again for tuning in to the fifth episode of Little Miss Media where we talked about Asian fetishization. If you like this episode, please follow us on Instagram and leave us a review wherever podcasts are found. We would really, really, really appreciate it. Really. 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 <laughs> really. really. Appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Until next time, guys. Thank you and see ya. See you later.